what's destroying our country is attitude. It's not our resources. It's not our constitution. It's the attitude people have towards each other. And that can destroy the fabric uh, of a nation. Because um, the genius of the constitution, where people are able to govern themselves, in a way kind of requires that people choose to get along. Right? And choose to help build one another up. How do we actually form an attitude? Did you know that actually we're born with some attitude? Uh, we can be born with, with fear. They know that from some experiments. People can have a little bit of fear towards this or that. That can be passed on from generation to generation. There's not necessarily a particular gene for this that they have found, but they've seen enough evidence to know that you can pass on some of these things. So if you find yourself with a certain attitude, well, that's okay. Because the gospel's about what? Change. No matter what we were born with, no matter what the dent was, we can be born again with new motives and new habits and a new way of thinking. Uh, attitudes, though, are mostly developed through direct experiences that you have. Um, social influence, the way you were brought up. Most prejudiced people have formed most of their prejudices by age four. Uh, media exposure. You watch a certain news agency, you begin to develop. There we go. Well, that's better, huh? But our attitudes are really mostly formed by what's around us, our environment. You are born with some of it, but most of it is your influences in your life and choices that you make. Um, attitudes affect the way we feel and really vice versa. If I start having some negative feelings towards someone, will that change my attitude? Absolutely. And it won't just affect my attitude towards that one person or that one thing. It affects my attitude overall. Um, attitude affects the way we think about someone or something. And attitude affects our behavior. And I want to look at something here that's about worship, behavior. So let's look at this statement here. It's from the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 491. To the humble believing soul, the house of God, which is like this sanctuary, the house of God on earth is the what? That's a pretty good attitude, isn't it? That is an amazing attitude. That a person could walk into a sanctuary and say, you know, I want to worship God in heaven, but my preparation for that is when I walk through those two doors. And how I sit in here and worship God will affect the way I would worship God in heaven. If I'm careless here, you see what I'm saying? An attitude, if I don't take worship here seriously... It's not just going to affect the way I do worship overall. It's going to affect how I look at all spiritual things. It affects how I look at the Bible or how I study the Bible. So our attitude is affected by our behavior, and our behavior affects our attitudes. And this is why, and I know Eski has talked about a lot about it, sanctity in the sanctuary. Because sanctity in the sanctuary affects our attitude towards all spiritual things. Right? So, 
the song of praise and the prayer, the words spoken by Christ's representatives are God's appointed agencies to prepare people for the church above, for that loftier worship into which there can enter nothing that defileth. So when Lorraine gave an invitation to sing, give a poem, do you know that when you do that, you're preparing people to worship God even in heaven? Isn't that interesting? That it's a vital part of influencing our behavior and our attitude towards things that deal with worship. So when you get an opportunity or God lays on your heart to invest in your brothers and sisters through song or reading something, yeah, it, it affects us. This is the way God designed us. He designed us to be like that. Notice what the, this is the same page. There has been a great change, not for the better, but for the worse, in the habits or behavior in reference to religious worship. The precious, the sacred things which connected with us with God are fast losing their hold upon our minds and hearts and are being brought down to the level of common things. The reverence which the people had anciently for the sanctuary where they met with God in sacred service has largely passed away. The lifeless what? Attitude of the worshipers in the house of God is one great reason why the ministry is not more productive of good. The melody of song poured forth from many hearts in clear, distinct utterance is one of God's instrumentalities in the work of saving souls. All this service should be conducted with solemnity and awe as if in the visible presence of the master of the assembly. So if everything we do in worship is done with solemnity, it actually encourages us to go out and give Bible studies. It actually encourages us to go out and reach people because we have left here with more of a sanctified attitude and dedication to God that inspires us to do more for the master, not less. But if you walk into the church and the music is kind of like the music you'd hear on the radio, then people aren't actually inspired to go out in a sacred way to see the work done. Everything we do influences us. Every thought you have secretes a chemical in your body that will either bring healing or harm. It all depends on the thought, even the actions. Everything has an action and a reaction. It's just the way the universe works, how God designed it. So you think about how powerful this verse we had for our our scripture reading. If we could live by this verse, it influences our whole attitude about everything. Imagine, he says, Paul says, finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, are real. Let us give an example. Some people feel, well, God couldn't love me. Is that true? No, that's not real. That's not true. Well, I've sinned too many times. Is that true, that God won't love me? So it's not true. But people sometimes think that, and it's going to affect their attitude towards God and their self, which ultimately affects their attitude towards... You see, it does matter how you think. It does matter what we do, because everything influences your attitude and the way you look at things. And so the, the scripture goes on and says, whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are just 
and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Because this whole controversy between good and evil started with one negative thought in the mind of Lucifer. Now, he didn't have to entertain that thought, but he did. And so here's the thing. The sin isn't the thought. It's what you do with it. And this is where I shared with you years ago. Someone asked me, Jeff, are you a two-second Christian or a 20-second Christian? And I said, well, I hope I'm at least a 20-second Christian. He says, no, Jeff. When a bad thought comes to mind, do you think about it two seconds or 20 seconds? You see? If I think about it 20 seconds, I'm actually giving birth to that negative thought. But if it's only two seconds, it just comes to mind, and I've chosen by God's grace to have that thought crucified and replaced with the lovely thought of Jesus, it's not a sin. You see? It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. Think of Christ's attitude towards humanity. Christ recognized no distinction of nationality or rank or creed. How many people think that way today? I mean, our nation is so divided. The world is so divided. It's the attitude of the world. Because the world does make a distinction between races and nationalities and language. And it's a mess. Because when you make distinctions like that, where are you going to go? What's the product of that? And this is why Jesus, in part, was willing to die for us because in him, when he looked out in that sea of people, he loved them all. And therefore, he could die for all because of the way his attitude was towards every person. Right? And then it goes on and says, he made no difference between neighbors and stranger, friends and enemies. That is an amazing statement. To make no difference between a person who was their friend, his disciples and his enemies who were sought to kill him, he made no distinction there. That's an attitude. That's a holy attitude. And in the end of time, when the Bible says you won't be able to buy and sell in this, you have to have this loving attitude even towards those who would take away your freedoms. And it's that kind of attitude that God's waiting for. I don't think he's waiting for 8 billion more people in the world. He's not really waiting for the world to become worse. He's waiting for people to have just the right attitude. Because attitude influences how you see people and how you treat people. It's all about attitude, how you see them. And then it goes on and says about Jesus, he passed by no human being as worthless, but sought to apply the healing remedy to every soul. Wow, what a beautiful life. That is the beautiful life. He sought to inspire with hope the roughest and most unpromising, setting setting before them the assurance that they might become blameless and harmless, attaining such a character as would make them manifest as the children of God. Jesus' attitude towards people 
is what he saw that people could be, not just what they were. And so he saw them as being sons and daughters of God. And that kind of attitude led him to heal all who were sick. He'd have these private interviews. He'd feed 5,000 because of the way he, he saw people. It's his whole philosophy of life. And that's what God has to change. Christ takes us just as we are with all our prejudices and all our opinions and all our theories. But he doesn't want us to leave us that way. We come just as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us just as we are. He says, I want you to have my thoughts and my feelings and my attitudes, my character. Because that's how I prepare you for heaven. Because that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Because this old world, as we see, this isn't our inheritance. It's going to pass away. But to be able to live in a world with the right attitude, where everything's brought back to its original perfection. Wow. To be able to fit in that kind of world means that things have to change in me. But is God able? Is God available? He's always available and he's always able to change my heart that I can't change myself. But I can be willing to be made changed. Right? Now, let's think about that fall of Lucifer. And it's tragic, isn't it? And I've, I was even thinking about that late last night, how, how I had wished that he had never, when he had that first fleeting negative passing thought, that he would have gone simply to the Father and says, what's this? I don't, I don't understand. Why did I have this jealous feeling? Why did I help me with this? I don't understand it. But he didn't. See, that was his downfall. He didn't go to God. And that's our downfall. When you're tempted to sin, what's your first thing you should do? Try to overcome it by yourself? Pray and direct your thoughts to God, who alone is able to give you the victory. You see, we can have an attitude. I'm just going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, not just economically, but even spiritually. Is that the right attitude? Absolutely not. God is the one who is able. He's the problem solver. He's the one who recreates us. He's everything. He's the whole source of life. It all originally comes from him. Amen. How could he not be the answer? Yes. Right? But that negative thought was encouraged as he repeated it, and those negative thoughts changed his attitude toward God, himself, and others. It actually changed his behavior. We look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 17. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman, the church, right, waiting for Jesus to be born. And he knew Mary would be the, the one chosen, which was ready to be delivered and for to devour her child, which would be Jesus, as soon as it was born. Before he had that negative thought, he worshipped Jesus. He led the angelic choir to worship Jesus. And now as soon as he's born, his attitude changed towards God, and it changed his, his behavior, changed his attitude. Wow. And then in the end, the dragon went to make war with the remnant, the church, in the very end of time, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
At one time, Lucifer was himself a commandment keeper. Right? I mean, and now he makes war with everybody who does so. What a change. Started with a thought, changed his attitude, changed his behavior. It's just the law. You know, it's just like the law of gravity. I mean, thoughts lead to habits and habits form, you know, character. And now, so what does this have to do with health? I thought this was a health seminar. In a study of more than 5,000 people over the age of 65, researchers at John Hopkins University found that a poor image of one's health, regardless of other risk factors, roughly doubled the risk of death within five years. In fact, a pessimistic outlook proved to be deadlier than congestive heart failure or smoking 50 or more packs of cigarettes every year. And we, we generally dismiss this. If you broke your leg today, where are you, where are you going to go? You go to the hospital. But you wind up being deeply depressed and we think, ah, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. I got this pessimistic bad attitude. I guess it's not the same as a broken leg. That's true. It's worse. I got congestive heart failure. Oh, there's something worse than that. A pessimistic pessimistic attitude, isn't it? We know that statistically now. It matters how you think. Matters how you feel. Look at these beautiful, life-changing verses. Is this true? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. Is that a true statement? Yes. We know that. We know that scientifically today. There's no question about that. Uh, this one, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Beautiful statement. But perfect love does what? Casses out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So, this is physiologically true. You can have developed in your brain neural pathways of fear towards a lot of things. Fear of losing your job. Fear of losing a loved one. Your health. Fear of spiders. Whatever it is. And you've created this neural pathway that when you see something, hear something that reminds you or triggers that, you're afraid. And it starts secreting this cortisol through your body that actually could cause harm to your body. But you know what love does? By rewiring the brain through loving acts and thoughts, your brain is now being re rewired to think more loving. And as you develop these pathways, as they begin as a path and then more like a river, because you keep repeating these loving thoughts, what happens to the fear? It starts diminishing. So the reality is, physiologically in your brain, the more loving you become, the less fear you have. The more I know and express and embrace the love of Jesus, the less I have to fear of the future. Because I know who holds my life in his hands. It's okay. And the three Hebrew worthies knew that. 
Listen, you can heat that fire seven times hotter. doesn't matter. I know who loves me. And if God wants me to perish today, I'll perish. That's okay. It's, it's in his hands. I know he loves me. And I know what's laid up for me by being obedient to him is eternal life. So you can take this temporal body. That's okay. Because I'm not going to allow my fear of you to overcome my love for God. No, his love for me helps me overcome your fear no matter how harsh you talk about that fire. No matter how much you threaten me, God's love is supreme. And I'm not afraid. You see, this is what God's waiting for. He's waiting for us to have that kind of attitude that we'll love our enemies because of Christ's love for us and his love for them. Christ doesn't love sin. He loves the sinner. And that's what we have to separate, you know. The physiology of love, there's more than these things that are secreted in our body when we do loving acts, have loving thoughts. There's dopamine and serotonin, oxytocin. So they help bring healing to the body, but they actually affect your behavior. The less loving acts you perform, the less or the lower levels of these things. And if you have less of those levels, then you don't receive the benefits of what it could do to your behavior. Does that make sense? So the more loving acts you do and secrete these kinds of chemicals, the healthier you're going to be and the chances of it changing your behavior for good. It's just a law, you know? So let's look at some of this. Let's, let's just look at oxytocin. We don't have time for all the other ones, but... Oxytocin surges during intimacy, of course, when a uh, nursing is probably the biggest one, and rises with every loving act. Higher levels of oxytocin promotes generosity and trust. Studies have shown that people are 44% more trusting when they received oxytocin via, imagine that, going up to people, here, here we go, <laughs> a little nasal spray here. Um, and people were 44% more um, no, don't get any ideas that we're going to do this before we take the offering, right? So 44% more trusting and generous. And oxytocin, the levels go up, decreases fear. They know that. Helps people recover after negative social interaction. Jesus was always loving. And he'd be thrown in a lot of interactions with people who just hated him. And yet he kept going, and he's like he was just getting stronger. How is that possible? Because with every look and every word, he had this attitude that he was going to be a blessing and help people, not harm people. And this is why Jesus was so victorious when he encountered these negative influences that he could get through it. And if you and I want to get through these experiences that are kind of toxic, the best thing you can do is find ways, more ways, of being a blessing to people. Because it's like you're building up reserve for the tough times. Because they're going to come. And you, you're better to overcome these tough times because you make good time out of being a difference to somebody else. That makes sense? Amen. <clears throat> 
Ways to raise your oxytocin levels is uh, exercise does it. Uh, music does. Uh, particularly if you're in a, a group of people singing because of that bonding effect. Uh, we have a couple smaller choirs here. And there's a bonding effect and you raise your oxytocin levels when after this service you practice, right? For special music, there's a bonding taking place. And God has designed us, our body, our mind, that when you choose to sing to God's glory with others, your levels of oxytocin go up, you receive healing inside here, and it affects your attitude for good. That's a positive, right? You know, this is the beautiful thing about creation. Is about and There's such a strong bias that when we do good, it reacts on us in a good way. When we do evil, it reacts on our body in a bad way. You know, negative thoughts have negative reactions on the body. Just a simple act of touch seems to boost oxytocin release. Giving someone a hug leads to higher levels. So those are some ways, but God has another way. Remember these words of Jesus? You can raise your oxytocin's level out of this world by having the Holy Spirit write this verse in your heart. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, and he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Because God is love, right? For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven, which is, which is in heaven, is perfect. You will not lack opportunities in this fallen world to be able to love people who don't love you back. We're the one fallen world. We're that one lost sheep. But it makes a difference in preparation for heaven to love your enemies. Because Jesus would say, as you've done it unto these, you've... If you can love your enemies, that would be one of the greatest evidences that there's a change. It's not the same Jeff anymore. And I remember, I've shared that story where this man came into our home and stole our money. And our neighbor saw him come in and he didn't walk out the couch or anything. He just walked out. And so I went to see where our money was, and guess what? It was gone. Now, I can assure you, I didn't have a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings about this person. But I knew that my attitude and my feelings were wrong. What could I do? I don't want to live this way the rest of my life. Worse things are going to happen. I mean, it was only a few hundred bucks. So I had to pray. And I prayed and I said, Father, I don't love this man. I wasn't even born with that kind of love to love him after what he did. But I know you love him. So, Father, forgive me of my ill feelings. May I have your love for this man? Because in reality, that was the only way I was going to be able to love that person. Was by God sharing his love with me that he already has for him. And have it in me. It's like God was going to plant his seed of love in the heart of Jesus, in Jeff. 
so that that seed could bear fruit in my life, the fruit of love. And as long as I want that, and as long as I do everything I can to nurture that, it will bear fruit. And when I felt that I had received Christ's love for this person, I went to his house, knocked on the door. He answers the door. And the first thing I said is, I know you took my $300. (laughs) But I want you to know that I forgive you. And that you're worth a lot more than $300. And we got the study of the Bible together. And he wound up accepting Christ as his personal Savior. Because if this verse wasn't in my heart towards that man... Maybe somebody else would have studied with him, but it wasn't going to be me. Is that right? So we can change. Our attitudes can change. We can go in one day from disliking a person to loving that person with Christ's love because as creationists who keep the Sabbath, we're not evolutionists. We don't think it takes 8 million years to overcome a habit. We know that God is a creative God and that he can change our hearts. If you want to change, the creator can do it. It's our willingness to be changed. So we only got a couple slides here. So let's conclude with the idea that we basically need, bringing it back to health, a wellness attitude. Okay? By adopting an attitude of wellness, we take on a belief that being well has always been God's design for the human family. God never designed for me to be sad and depressed or sick. But sickness happens in our world after 6,000 years of sin. Even if you take perfect care of yourself, you could still wind up with cancer. Is that true? Absolutely, because environment makes a difference in everything, you know? But God has principles for us to follow. And in this wellness attitude, the goal is to have, not just to avoid disease. That's not the right attitude. The attitude is to have outstanding, vibrant health. You know, to really feel good. Not just physically, but imagine feeling really, really good emotionally. You know, when they hire people more now, They're more concerned with not their IQ, but their EQ. They found that people who have a high IQ on taking tests aren't necessarily the best workers, as opposed to having an emotional quotient who are more stable in how they work with people. You know, because a person knows how to work with people, they're going to learn, right? They're teachable. They may not have got the 100 on, you know, on the quizzes and the tests, but if they got in their 80s or whatever, but they have a good way of working with people. Oh, you're way better off with that worker, okay? Well, that's what they're finding. With a wellness attitude, we know that we can be temperate in all things and give glory to God in all that we eat, drink, and do. Most importantly, you know that you have a choice. You can either choose good health and wellness or opt for poor health and sickness. It's about having an attitude. A lot of people have a poor attitude towards their health and don't see any hope or whatever. And lastly, a wellness plan. Let's just conclude with this. First, resolve today to take action to change. Second, determine one good habit you'd like to develop 
and start practicing it immediately. Or third, decide on one habit you don't like and you stop doing it. But don't try to change your entire life at once. And I got to be careful in saying that. But right now, focus on one thing. And once you've overcome that one thing by God's grace, it gives you the confidence that you'll overcome the next thing. You know, there's things wrong with us that we're not even aware of. You know, there are things called hidden sins. But God knows us perfectly. But if we can just start overcoming the things we know about, one by one, just a step at a time, God will reveal to us the other things we need to overcome by his grace. Because after all, he's the real physician. And as the true physician, he does want us well. Not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. So let us learn to cooperate with our the great physician who long can make us completely whole. Before our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn, which is number 560. Now hymn number 560.